This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Some true stories are more terrifying than the movies. This world is a strange one. Happy birthday, America. Well, I'm finishing up my family get-together, so I should be able to release the usual episodes and bonus episodes like normal soon. But today, I have a special treat for you. The following five allegedly true stories are my top five favorite bonus stories. As always, you can unlock the rest of the dozens of bonus episodes. Just consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash darknessprevails. Or you could try appearing in a future video by sending us your story at darknessprevails.org. We're looking for creepy Instagram stories. Now, enjoy these tales that even chilled me to the bone. Number 1. Skin Trees, submitted by Cody E. I live in Utah, and my family has always been pretty outdoorsy. When I was younger, my older brother and I would often go on hunting trips with my dad, my uncle, and our cousin who was my age. This was years ago, and back then my mother would often stay home on these trips while she took care of my baby brother. This story, however, is about a certain situation we experienced on a camping trip near Flaming Gorge and Three Corners. We would often stay at a campground called the Beaver Dam Campground, which sat near the historic John Jarvie Ranch, right near the Green River. This camping trip was going to serve as a scouting opportunity for my dad and uncle's upcoming elk hunt. During these scouting trips, it wasn't uncommon for us to be riding ATVs for eight to even 12 hours a day. At the time, my brother, cousin, and I were all small enough that we could ride on our dad's ATVs with them. My brother would sit on the back seat while I would sit up front, somewhat on my dad's lap. Back to the topic at hand, these ATV rides would take us to the middle of nowhere on a regular basis. We ended up getting quite high into the mountains on a specific ride. We had been riding for hours at the time and we were nearing the end of the day. My dad and uncle just wanted to go a little further on the trail we were on. After that, they planned on heading back to camp. The trail was beginning to get quite narrow and appeared very unused as if we were the only ones who had been on it in years. The trail bent around the curve of the mountain and weaved into a thick portion of the tall pine trees that surrounded us. The area just ahead was not visible due to some large brush. We continued forward and the brush opened up into a small clearing surrounded by very tall trees. And that's where we discovered something far more than horrifying. In the center of the clearing were the remains of a small smoldering campfire, and about eight to 10 feet away from the fire were two makeshift shelters. These shelters were constructed of branches and old debris, such as ruined tent nylon, a tarp, and some rusted sheet metal. Although that was odd enough to see, 
The absolute worst part of this situation was what was surrounding us. In literally every direction, high up in nearly every tree around us, were the remains of dozens of dead animals, mostly skinned, some dry, some rotting and smelling, and others fresh. Along with the skin, there were quartered pieces of animals strung from the trees as well, such as legs and their heads. Most of these dead animals consisted of deer. However, there was also a couple of elk and even a cougar. The stench of everything we were seeing, it was enough to nearly cause all five of us to vomit. Each of us were completely terrified and the forest around us, it was unnaturally quiet like there were no animals or insects there, or maybe no animals left. We probably spent a total of 10 to 15 seconds at that spot, but it felt like an hour. Without saying a word, my dad and uncle got us the heck out of there. I don't remember ever seeing my dad or uncle get so creeped out in my life, as they are both known for being quite tough and fearless but I could very clearly see the expressions on their faces. Their eyes were wide. The blood seemed to drain from their cheeks. And these men, these men who usually had all the answers, ready to lead at a moment's notice, they were silent and dumbfounded. We hauled it back to camp without speaking a single word for the entirety of the ride back. It took us roughly two hours as we went directly there. We did not bother making a detour. I think we were all done with being in the woods that day. Once we got back to camp, my dad and uncle had myself, my brother, and cousin go sit inside of the truck. Through rolled up windows, I watched them as they sat next to each other, talking for some great length of time. That expression they had on their faces before, at that crazy spot with the skins in the trees, it remained on their faces as they discussed something in secret. We could never hear what they were saying no matter how hard we tried, but needless to say, we never headed back to that area. In fact, we called it quits early and left the next morning. Number two, what my grandfather shot, submitted by Vera. The reason I'm sharing this story with you is because my grandfather, Refugio Vera, encountered and fought something in the mountains of Guanajuato, Mexico. I feel it is my duty, my responsibility, to pass on this story and information. It's a story that my old man told his kids and his grandkids, something that I'll pass on to my children as well. He wasn't a drunk or a crazy man or anything like that but on the contrary, he was a respected, hardworking, well-known man in the community. He worked from sunup to sundown. That is why when he told my family and his friends and me what he saw, nobody, not a single person, had a single sense of doubt that he was lying. They knew that my grandfather would not be making this stuff up. He and my grandmother lived in the mountains of Guanajuato by themselves. They were very poor, they lived only on the land and the animals that they had. 
If my grandfather wasn't farming, he was hunting and gathering for food and fruit and vegetables. Now, in his prime, my grandfather was a six-foot-tall man. He was skinny, though, and didn't weigh much, but he was still intimidating enough. He almost always had on a cowboy hat, and he was always on his horse with a machete by his side. He had a 30-30 rifle and a 45 caliber handgun tucked on his waist, and with him almost always was his companion, a German shepherd named Commandante, which means commander, alongside him. Commandante was a very loyal and brave dog. He bore the scars of past fights when he fended off coyote and other animals from the farm. When you live in the middle of nowhere, living only for yourself, you need dogs and guns like this. There are packs of wild, hungry coyotes, there are mountain lions and bobcats, and apparently other things. My grandfather's ranch was a lonely house up in the mountains, miles and hours from the nearest road to civilization. He only had one neighbor named Antonio Benilla. Antonio lived about five miles down the road on the mountain from him. Besides that, they were all alone. Next, I will share the exact words of my grandfather, the way he shared it to me, the story of his encounter. It must have been a Wednesday or Thursday, Everything was normal that day, nothing out of the ordinary. At the moment, my grandfather was putting away the cows and horses in his homemade stable that was made out of wooden rocks. To lock it, he laid a long dead log across the door. Other than that, the horses and cows were in the pasture all day long. By the time he was done with all of his normal chores, it was dark out. He was getting ready for bed when he suddenly heard Commandante and two of his other dogs began to bark and growl. He didn't care much. He said at the time he thought they were just barking at the coyotes. It wasn't until later that night that my grandmother woke him up and told him that the horse was going crazy and that the dogs were fighting with something. She said they sounded threatened. They thought that it may have been a mountain lion trying to come onto the property. But all of a sudden, the dog stopped making any noise not a single bark or growl. My grandfather listened for a little bit, thinking that maybe the dogs fended off whatever it was. Then out of nowhere again, the horse began making awful noises, like something was murdering it. Without another thought, my grandfather jumped out of bed, grabbing his 45 caliber handgun, and he rushed outside. It must have been four in the morning now. He walked around the house to the stable, and he said he froze in fear and terror when he saw what was trying to kill the horse. He was petrified and filled with disbelief from what he was witnessing. When the horse in pain cried louder, it brought my grandfather back to reality. Without warning, he fired and he hit the thing. It must have been only 15 yards away from him. He aimed again for the body, hitting it again at least three more times. In all, he fired eight bullets. The other five he shot randomly as the creature ran away. He said as soon as he hit it the first time, the creature, whatever it was, released the horse's neck from its mouth and the claws came off of the horse's shoulders. As best as he can describe it, he said it was bigger than a dog, way bigger, easily four and a half feet tall on all fours. It was thin, but you could see it was very powerful the way it fought the horse and controlled it with ease. The creature's head itself was bigger than the horse's, with a long mouth, not too many teeth, 
but the few that it did have were long and big. He said the teeth were cone-shaped. The back legs were bigger and stronger than the front ones, but the front ones had longer claws. Its skin appeared to be gray under the moon. It made a weird noise. My grandfather says he can't describe it. It was almost like a cry with a painful howl, like when a dog is being choked by the throat. As it darted through the trees, stumbling and breaking branches, he never heard the sound of it crossing the stream that ran alongside the house. He said the only explanation for that was either the thing cleared the 35-foot wide stream without splashing or touching the water, or it was still on this side. He thought for sure that the thing had killed the dogs when he turned to go inside all shaken up from what had just happened. Thankfully, the dogs came out of the pig den. They had been hiding from it, like they knew they couldn't win that fight. He had never seen them act like that. The dogs knew that the only way to survive was to hide. My grandfather said one of the dogs had been severely hurt in the back leg. It had flesh hanging down its side and the bottom of its stomach. He went and got my grandmother and told her to help him out with the dogs, that they were injured. The next morning, only two dogs remained. The one with the injuries sadly did not make it, and the horse died two days later. He went in that night thinking it was the devil he had encountered, but he realized he was wrong. He told me that if I had shot the devil, he wouldn't have run away. He wouldn't have cried in pain. He said instead that that was something else that night, something he never could have imagined he would see or exist. He says he doesn't blame the dogs for hiding. Either way, they were more brave than him, he said, fighting it up close. They still bear the scars of that night, and my grandfather only has the memory of what he saw and shot. He says he's lucky that he managed to scare it off instead of pissing it off. He didn't know what he would do if it came charging at him. When he told me this story, he smirked at me and said, I wish I had grabbed my 30-30 instead that night and aimed for that big head of his. But things happen for a reason, mijo, he told me. He explains that maybe one day he'll see it again, and that time he will aim for the head, and not with a handgun, not a chance. For the next four days after that experience, he and his neighbors searched for tracks, trying to find the creature or to find it dead somewhere, but they always came out empty-handed. The only thing they saw or found was a dead deer that was recently killed. He said the horses were acting strange and they felt that they were being watched. Now, I may not have seen the creature myself, but I will always believe what my grandfather says. When he told me this story, the look in his eyes told me all of this, that he wasn't lying. I didn't see joy in him retelling this story. All I saw was concern and fear. Even before the other two dogs passed on, I saw those scars, those scars that proved something crazy and supernatural happened that night. Not to mention my grandmother always backs him up as well. One day his neighbor Antonio told him he had heard somebody talking about a man who claimed he encountered something similar. It goes that he was on horseback, making his way into town when his dog stopped, and his tail went up like he was on alert or on guard. He continued for a few minutes, when all of a sudden, he spotted something running towards him from behind. He immediately whacked the horse on the side and booked it at full speed down the mountainside. He said he got lightheaded and passed out on the way at some point due to his panic. 
He wasn't embarrassed to say he went number two from what he saw, and Antonio's dog never came out of those woods. I have no clue what my grandfather shot and what that man saw, but I know that there's something on those lonely mountains where people don't tend to go. I'll leave it up to you to tell me what you think it is. Thank you for listening. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, people are the true monsters, and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Number 3. A Police Officer's Paranormal Experience Submitted by James B. I live in South Central Kentucky and I had always wanted to become a police officer. After going through the application process and the training, I was fortunate enough to be hired. Right off the bat, the sheriff told me that I should start getting used to staying up all night because I was going to be starting in two weeks, starting the night shift, that is. My best friend and I decided to go out and drive around all night on the rural back roads to get some practice in before the big day. Not to mention, I really needed to learn the roads as best I could before I started working. It was the first week of November and it was pretty cold out. The night sky was clear and there was a bright full moon above us. We were traveling on a narrow back country road out in the middle of nowhere, and it must have been close to three in the morning. I came up on a long straight stretch and I noticed what looked to be a person right in the middle of the road in the distance. This was really strange because there were no houses anywhere close and it was extremely cold out like I said, not to mention it was really late. My friend Eric asked what we should do in this situation. Do you think something is wrong with this person, he said. I looked at my cell phone and noticed that I had no signal way out here. 
Even still, we kept getting closer to this person, and as we did, we noticed that it was a woman wearing a white dress. Immediately, I assumed that she was either drunk, high, or something had to be bad wrong with her. Maybe she was hurt. Maybe she had a mental condition. I didn't know. I told Eric that we could give her a ride and get her some help if she needed it, but we simply couldn't leave her out here alone. We approached, and when we got within approximately 100 feet of the girl, we noticed that she was walking like she was either crippled or just really drunk. I began to feel more worried as we approached her, and soon I began to expect the worst. But before we could approach any further, Eric screamed right in my ear. Holy shit, she doesn't have any fucking legs. I thought he was joking with me, which this definitely wasn't the time for that, but even if it sounded crazy, I looked over to the girl, and I could not believe what I saw. He wasn't lying. The girl didn't have legs. She wasn't walking strange, she was floating. I never believed in ghosts in my life. I thought that only crazy people actually believed in them. So we both sat there, silent and in shock. I stopped the car as we watched her walk away from us, or better yet, float away with her back towards us. We were both just freaking out in the car at this point. My headlights were on bright, and I had a powerful spotlight aimed on her. We realized that my lights were going through her body and shining on the forest ahead of her. She was translucent. I made the decision to slowly drive past her. I could never shake the thought that this was a bad idea altogether, but I continued to drive anyway. As we went beside her, she was only three feet from the side of the car. Eric had brought a gun. He now had it unholstered and laid in his lap at the ready as we passed by. Her dress was tattered and torn, and the dress and her legs both ended at her knees. She had her head down, and we could not see her face because of her long black hair being in the way. Every second I looked at her, chills filled my body, and I felt goosebumps envelop me. We continued to pass her, and when we were about 25 feet in front of her, I told Eric to keep his eyes on the girl. As I pulled off the road to turn around, there was a sharp curve ahead, and I took my eyes off of her to make sure no cars were coming, that we were okay to turn. But the moment I looked away, Eric was freaking out so badly. He had taken his eyes off of her for a second, and when he looked back in her direction, the girl was gone. What? I said. I pulled back out onto the road, and I now faced her direction. But she wasn't there anymore. She was somehow gone, as if she had vanished. The two of us got out of the car and began to look along the ditch line with my spotlight. Even if she had ran as fast as a freaking cheetah, there was no way she could have made it to the edge of the woods which were about 500 feet away. We drove up and down the road a few more times, but this girl was gone. She really had vanished. We decided it was time to call it a night. We headed home, processing what we had just seen. A little over two years ago, while I was working night shift, I went into the local gas station to get a cup of coffee. I noticed a few older men were sitting in the back of the station. They were looking at a book and talking about ghosts in the area. I walked over, and I saw that they were looking at a book that had to do with the paranormal happenings in Kentucky. 
they were talking about the ghost from Red Hill Road. This really caught my attention because that was the road that I had my sighting on years ago. As the man holding the book and I began to talk, he told me that this woman had been murdered by her sister on her wedding day because her sister was jealous of her and she wanted to marry her sister's fiance. The girl was stabbed over 50 times with a large kitchen knife. Perhaps this explains why we saw the girl with the wedding dress and maybe why her dress was all torn and tattered. Even though I had a witness years ago, it felt good to know that other people had sighted her in the past 100 years. Eric and I were not the only ones. One of the men in the group at the store gave me his wife's phone number. He told me to call and talk to her about my sighting because she had also seen her back in the mid 70s. I did end up talking to her and she described the ghostly woman exactly as I saw her. Nowadays, I firmly believe in ghosts and I always will because I witnessed it myself with my own two eyes. I have told people this story from time to time and I'm always thinking that maybe, maybe other people don't believe because they hadn't seen something themselves. As for me, I'll be on my deathbed and I'll still swear on everything that I love that this was real and if there was any way possible for me to prove it, I would. Thank you for listening. Number four, People's Elementary Haunting, submitted by Southern Horror. Lydia, Louisiana is a very small town, and in the back of it is forgotten history. We have a plantation in what is called slave shacks. That whole section just gives me the creeps. Well, our People's Elementary School had been around for ages, my grandmother went to school there and she was born in 1929. You may notice I'm using past tense here because the place was flooded years ago by one of the many hurricanes. It was sad because the place was a big part of the town's history, but at the same time happy because kids won't have to experience anything else. Now the place is just an RV park. It doesn't even show up on the map, but there is a huge iron cross in the front of it a reminder of what was once there. I began going to Peebles in the third grade. My family had been going there for years and I've heard the rumors of a fourth grade teacher being a witch, which till this day I still believe she is, along with countless other stories. Now, third grade me didn't think too much about it. At the time, I was more worried about friends and when recess was coming. It didn't take long into the school year for things to begin happening. First, it started with whispers, which you could hear in the quiet hallways when class was in session. All doors had to be closed. Mind you, these were thick, heavy doors, so unless you were yelling, you couldn't hear. Next were the giggles in the bathroom. It happened so often, the kids didn't want to go in there alone anymore. Heck, most people wouldn't go alone anywhere in that school. The teachers, though, were different. Either they didn't hear anything or they were trying to ignore it and hide it from us. Personally, I think they heard it too. It wasn't until the fourth grade that I began to see actual things happening. 
the heavy doors would open by themselves. The students were so scared one day that my teacher had to bring us into the cafeteria. Teacher or no teacher, we didn't feel any more safe. At one recess, a few friends of mine dug up a wooden cross. We got in a lot of trouble that day, but that's not what we focused on. We were scared at what we found. Why would we find something like that on the playground? Where did it come from and who did it belong to? There were train tracks in the woods next to the school that led nowhere. Once, one kid was dared to go in and stay there for the whole recess period. Now being an adult, I deeply regret not telling the teacher on duty because after the kid came back, he didn't talk much after that. And for the rest of the year, he just didn't act the same. He kept to himself and he completely stopped hanging around with his usual friends. I see him now and again when I go to the store and yeah, he gives me that courteous smile, but his eyes are so blank, so emotionless. I'm not sure if that was because his life was rough or because of that day. I don't know what he saw, but I've always wanted to ask him what happened. I just can't bring up the courage. It frustrated me and many of the kids when we would tell the teachers these things because they would just brush it off and tell us to ignore it if it happened again. Honestly, thinking about it now, if I was a teacher, what would I have done? If I confirm what the kids were seeing, they would just stay scared. I probably would have done the same thing then because after all, what could you do in a haunted school except play it off as the kids' imaginations? The one thing that really chilled me to the core though, and it still gives me nightmares, were those woods next to the school. It was my final year there. I thought I had seen and heard it all after years of paranormal things, but boy was I wrong. It was during PE one day, and our coach had us out in the field doing exercises. I could feel my hands getting cold out there and my chest began to hurt. So I asked the coach if I could get some water and she gave me the go ahead. So I was making my way from the fields to the fountains. There were a few outside and that's when I heard it. Something called out to me. I heard something say, Bailey. I turned thinking maybe it was a teacher, but there was no one there. No one near me. I kept scanning around me because I was sure I heard something and I saw someone at the edge of the woods by the playground. It was a woman, sounded like a woman, but by God, it couldn't have been a person at all. Her eyes were wide, like a deer caught in traffic and her smile was not human. The tips of it seemed to touch her eyes. She curled her finger at me to come see. Come here, Bailey. There's something I need to show you. This thing spoke to me and her voice seemed to carry in the wind. It sounded like she was right next to me. I was frozen, completely petrified at what I was witnessing. I didn't recognize her as one of the teachers and I really had no idea why she wanted me to go over there. We weren't even allowed in the woods during school. And it's not like I lost something and it was over there waiting for me. I would have remembered being in the woods. It was another one of my classmates that finally shook me out of my trance. Susie was one of the girls who didn't believe in the people's ghosts. She would laugh at anyone who talked about it and assured everyone we were just all crazy. 
What are you doing? Coach Casey is so worried about you. She dragged the so, like the sarcastic brat she was. We didn't get along very well, if you couldn't tell, but we tolerated each other enough in front of the teachers. I barely moved, but I responded. I, uh, do you see anything over there? I asked her, pointing to the direction the woman was. She looked, squinted her eyes, and took a moment. I knew she could see it, because I saw it in her face. Her expression completely changed, but it was only for a second before she laughed at me. What? I, I don't see anything. You know, there's a medicine for people like you. She teased me, but her voice was wrong. It wasn't playful like before, and she turned around right after that and ran back to class. I looked back to where the woman was, and she was still there, still smiling. I took a few steps and her eyes followed me. It didn't take long for Coach Casey to start screaming for me to get back over there, threatening me with demerits. I didn't talk about the lady to anyone, and Susie never said or admitted anything, which was quite unusual for her. She often made it a responsibility to tell the class who was going crazy, but she never once mentioned to anyone how I was in a trance that day. The school was torn down a few years back, and as I said before, was made into an RV park. But it wasn't until a couple years ago that the cross came up. Not too long after people started parking their RVs. I don't know if they're experiencing anything there, and I don't really want to find out. I've had a lot of other happenings from around the area, like the houses next to where the school was, and even my own home. Basically, my whole town has paranormal happenings. And number five, The Gray Man, submitted by Anonymous. Being a mother is different. I never got to experience the joys or pains of childbirth. You see, my significant other and I, we're a lesbian couple, and my wife and I decided to adopt a child. Now, when our daughter was eight years old, she was always in need of attention. She wanted one of us to play with her or watch some TV with her. As for me, I decided to give in maybe a little too much because, well, she's just too adorable. My wife though, Lexi, had to run out to her job because of someone not turning up. Her hours were abysmal. She was always all over the place and it usually ran until midnight or even one in the morning. It seemed like she was never home. So I started to look for a babysitter, which is uncalled for, but work also had me coming in at off hours. Eventually, I found someone, a person who went by the name of Elisa. She was young. She looked to be in her early 20s. I gave her a call and she headed over the next day. I left for work around five in the afternoon while Elisa looked after my daughter. While driving to work, I noticed something extremely odd. I felt really uneasy leaving the house. Of course, when you're a mother, it's normal to feel that way, but this feeling was different. It was gut-wrenching, a dire feeling that something was off, something wasn't right. I turned back and slowly drove back to my house, 
The window blinds were open, and I could see Alyssa playing with my daughter. The TV was on, and they seemed to be having a blast. Maybe I was being paranoid or overly worried. But then I saw something that really set me uneven. Lindsay, my daughter, had stood up, and she hugged Alyssa. Then she sat back down while Alyssa went somewhere else in the room. I'm assuming she went into the kitchen. Still feeling uneven, I continued to my work, but that day I decided to leave early. It must have been eight at night when I finally started heading back, and I suddenly see this light in the sky. I brushed it off as an airplane or something like that, but it seemed like it was right near my house. Only growing more and more worried by the second, I pull in my driveway quickly, and Lindsay is sitting in the window, just staring at me with this smile. I rush inside, and Elissa is gone. Quickly and in a panic, I ask Lindsay how long her babysitter has been gone, and her response, it gave me chills even to this day. She left a few minutes ago, Mom. She left with the light in the sky. Right after that, I quickly rush back outside, but the light in the sky was no longer there. I started to panic and I dialed the police. About a week had passed by. It was a Thursday night and we were watching a television show. Lexi, as per usual, was out and Lindsay was sitting beside me. Suddenly, she got up off the couch and walked over to the front door. Then, for some reason, she began to point at it. Now, I thought this was cute at first, so I laughed and I asked her what she was doing. In response, and I still get terrified just typing this out, her exact response was, The gray man wants to come in. He's at the door. Alyssa is with him too. I froze for a moment. Once I got back to myself, I quickly scooped up Lindsay and I went upstairs and locked the door. I told her to tell me everything of what she did with Elissa that day she came over. But all she said was that they played with some dolls and watched some television, that after some snacks, she left. Once more, I dialed the police, but this is when things get far more terrifying. After I dialed the number, on the other end of the phone was nothing but static and an unusual noise. I can't describe it even if I tried but the sound made me feel sick. I hung up the phone, and then I took Lindsay into the closet. I was so terrified for the both of us, but I couldn't explain why. After about 10 minutes, Lindsay opens up the closet and walks to the bedroom window. She can't reach it because she's too short, but she just kept pointing up at the window, jumping up and down in happiness and excitement. Quickly again, I snatched her up, and I pulled her back into the closet with me. But then she explained to me in her tiny little voice, the gray man wants to come in. He can see you, mommy. He just wants to play. I started feeling utterly sick at my stomach to the point where I wanted to puke. I blocked the closet door where no one could open it and we slept there the entire night. And I made sure I didn't fall asleep until after Lindsay did, and I kept her there, tight in my arms. The next morning, I woke up to find the closet doors had been opened wide. I looked beside me, and Lindsay was gone. 
I started freaking out, screaming, no, 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 and I ran downstairs, only to find that she was with Lexi having breakfast. Lexi asked why I was freaking out, and I just shook my head. Then she smiled and laughed, saying that she came home to find us sleeping in the closet. As I asked her if anything was in front of the closet, she replied with no. And better yet, she said, the closet doors were already open when I got home. My heart seemed to stop. I looked to Lindsay and asked her if she had opened it while I was sleeping, and she replied with the most horrifying response. No, mommy, don't you remember? The gray man opened the doors with his mind, and he took us into his ship. We flew around and came back. I grabbed my phone, and I told Lexi that I needed some time alone. I stayed at my parents' house for a few days, all the while Lexi was worrying that it was because of her job that she was never home. But that wasn't the case. Whoever this gray man was, he wasn't human, and I just couldn't be at home for a while. What scares me is that Lindsay remembers so much of that night, yet I don't. I've kept this in my journal for years. Lindsay's 19 now, and she still remembers it like it was yesterday. To whoever reads this, make sure your home isn't built near the woods or a forest, because whoever these gray men are, they seem to love those areas the most. Life is much more than a box of chocolates. It's more of an ocean of struggling lost swimmers. Each of us are waiting to be pulled under by the horrors that watch from below. We never know who might be next, and we never know what we'll experience around the corner. But I can almost guarantee that at least once in your life, you'll live a moment that will make a horror movie look like a day in Candyland. Good night. Be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe if you enjoyed the video. And don't forget, send us your Instagram scary story soon at darknessprevails.org.